Welcome to the Faith Comes From Hearing podcast. This podcast will be a sharing of part of my morning routine as I prepare for the day with the Word of God. We will be partaking of Puritan prayers from the Valley of Vision, each day's morning devotional from Charles Haddon Spurgeon's Morning and Evening, and we'll be reading from the Legacy Standard Bible, which is the newest and, I believe, the most accurate translation of the Word of God. We will be following a Bible reading calendar that provides for reading the whole Bible in a year that was created by Minister Robert Murray McShane for his congregation back in 1842, and that has been a part of my daily reading for over six years now. Good morning and welcome to the morning segment of the Monday, February 27th episode of the Faith Comes From Hearing podcast. This will be episode 180, episode 180. I'm Wayne Floyd, your host. The Faith Comes From Hearing podcast is a humble member of the Christian Podcast Community. You can find us over at christianpodcastcommunity.org. Uh, definitely worth your while. Some great, great, great content over there. A um, lot of podcasts, all of them very, very good. Not not a one of them would, would be bad for you to listen to in any way, shape, or form. They would all be beneficial for you. Um, and definitely worth your time to get over there. Believe me, you get over there. You're going to find more that you want to listen to than you actually have time to listen to. Um, so it's definitely worth your while. Uh, I want to continue to point you at the last link in our show notes. It is a link that refers to the Vail Valley Baptist Church Give, Send, Go campaign. We are striving to rapidly pay off our mortgage so we can shift gears and commence establishment of a Christian classic education-based school as an alternative in our community. Um, to provide for the parents and grandparents out here for raising their children and grandchildren. So um, go ahead and click on the link and it'll give you a little bit more thorough description than I'm giving you. And then we would ask three things of you. We would ask that you pray for us. We would ask that you prayerfully consider giving to us. And then we would ask that you pass the link on so others can do the same. All right, we're going to be continuing on today in our in our reading in the Bible, and then for the evening segment, we're also going to continue our reading in Thomas Watson's The Godly Man's Picture, The Godly Man's Picture, and again, though it says The Godly Man's Picture, it's The Godly Person's Picture. Okay, this is, this is good characteristics for godly people. These are the characteristics that godly people should manifest, not that would be good to manifest, that they should manifest if they are truly the saints, if they are truly saved, this is what we should manifest. So definitely worth your while to listen. Um, all right, so let's go ahead and we're going to go ahead and open up with the second day morning prayer because Monday's our second day of the week. It's called God over all. Let's pray. O God, all sufficient, thou hast made and uphold us all things by the word of thy power. Darkness is thy pavilion. Thou walkest on the wings of the wind. All nations are nothing before thee. One generation succeeds another, and we hasten back to the dust. The heavens we behold will vanish away like the clouds that cover them. The earth we tread on will dissolve as a morning dream. But thou, unchangeable and incorruptible, art forever and ever, God over all, blessed eternally. Infinitely great and glorious art thou. We are thy offspring in thy care. Thy hands have made and fashioned us. Thou hast watched over us with more than parental love, more than maternal tenderness. Thou hast holden our soul in life, and not suffered our feet to be moved. Thy divine power has given us all things necessary for life and godliness. Let us bless thee at all times, and forget not how thou hast forgiven our iniquities, healed our diseases, redeemed our lives from destruction, crowned us with loving kindness and tender mercies, satisfied our mouths with good things, 
renewed our youth like the eagles. May thy holy scripture govern every part of our lives, and regulate the discharge of all our duties, so that we may adorn thy doctrine in all things. Amen. All right, our morning devotion for February 27th from Spurgeon's Morning and Evening comes from, uh, the text for it comes from Psalm 91.9. Thou hast made the Lord, which is my refuge, even the Most High, thy habitation. The Israelites in the wilderness were continually exposed to change. Whenever the pillar stayed its motion, the tents were pitched. But tomorrow, ere the morning sun had risen, the trumpet sounded, the ark was in motion, and the fiery cloudy pillar was leading the way through the narrow defiles of the mountain, up the hillside, or along the arid waste of the wilderness. They had scarcely time to rest a little before they heard the sound of, Away, this is not your rest. You must still be onward of journeying towards Canaan. They were never long in one place. Even wells and palm trees could not detain them. Yet they had an abiding home in their God. His cloudy pillar was their roof tree, and its flame by night their household fire. They must go onward from place to place, continually changing, never having time to settle, and to say, Now we are secure, in this place we shall dwell. Yet, says Moses, though we are always changing, the Lord, I'm sorry, though we are always changing, Lord, thou hast been our dwelling place throughout all generations. The Christian knows no change with regard to God. He may be rich today and poor tomorrow. He may be sickly today and well tomorrow. He may be in happiness today. Tomorrow he may be distressed. But there is no change with regard to his relationship to God. If he loved me yesterday, he loves me today. My unmoving mansion of rest is my blessed Lord. Let prospects be blighted. Let hopes be, be blasted. Let joy be withered. Let mildews destroy everything. I have lost nothing of what I have in God. He is my strong habitation, whereunto I can continually resort. I am a pilgrim in the world, but at home in my God. In the earth I wander, but in God I dwell in a quiet habitation. All right. And now our reading. So we're going to start in Leviticus 20, verse 22, and read through into Leviticus 22. Then we're going to do Mark 9, 1 through 29, Psalm 43, Psalm 4, all of Psalm 43, and then Proverbs 10, 18. So here we go. Leviticus 20, verse 22. Hear the word of the Lord. You shall therefore keep all my statutes and all my judgments and do them, so that the land to which I am bringing you to, hab to inhabit will not vomit you out. Moreover, you shall not walk in the statutes of the nation which I will cast out before you, for they did all these things, and therefore I have loathed them. Hence I have said to you, you yourselves shall possess their land, and I myself will give it to you to possess it, a land flowing with milk and honey. I am Yahweh your God, who has separated you from the peoples. You are therefore to separate between the clean animal and the unclean, and between the unclean bird and the clean. And you shall not make yourselves detestable by animal or by bird or by anything that creeps on the ground, which I have separated for you as unclean. Thus you shall be holy to, to me, for I, Yahweh, am holy, and I have separated you from the peoples to be mine. Now a man or a woman who is a medium or a spiritist, spiritist shall surely be put to death. They shall be stoned with stones. Their blood guiltiness is upon them. Leviticus 21. 
Then Yahweh said to Moses, Speak to the priests, the sons of Aaron, and say to them, No one shall defile himself for a dead person among his people, except for his blood relatives who are nearest to him, his mother and his father, and his son and his daughter, and his brother. Also for his virgin sister, who is near to him because she has, she has had no husband, for her he may defile himself. He shall not defile himself as a relative by marriage among his people, and so profane himself. They shall not make any baldness on their heads, nor shave off the edges of their beards, nor make any cuts in their flesh. They shall be holy to their God, and not profane the name of their God, for they bring near the offering to Yahweh by fire, the food of their God, so they shall be holy. They shall not take a woman who is profaned, profaned by harlotry, nor shall they take a woman divorced from her husband, for he is holy to his God. Therefore you shall set him apart as holy, for he brings near the food of your God. He shall be holy to you, for I, Yahweh, who make you holy, am holy. Also the daughter of any priest, if she profanes herself by harlotry, she profanes her father. She shall be burned with fire. And the priest who is the highest among his brothers, on whose head the anointing oil has been poured, and who has been ordained to wear the garments, shall not uncover his head, nor tear his clothes, nor shall he approach any dead person, nor defile himself, even for his father or his mother. Nor shall, mm, nor shall he go out of the sanctuary. Sorry. I'm sorry. Nor shall he go out of the sanctuary, nor profane the sanctuary of his God. For the dedication, dedication, wow, of the anointing oil of his God is on him. I am Yahweh. And he shall take a wife in her virginity, a widow or a divorced woman, or one who is profaned by harlotry. These he may not take, but rather he shall take a virgin of his own of his own people as as a wife, so that he will not profane his seed among his people. For I am Yahweh who, make it, who makes him holy. Then Yahweh spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to Aaron, saying, No man of your seed throughout their generations who has a defect shall come near to offer the food of his God. For no one who has a defect shall come near, a blind man or a lame man, or he who has a disfigured face or any deformed limb, or a man who has a broken foot or broken or broken hand, or a hunchback, or a dwarf, or one who has a defect in his eye, or eczema, or scabs, or crushed testicles. No man among the seed of Aaron, the priest, who has a defect, shall approach to bring near the offerings to Yahweh by fire. Since he has a defect, he shall not approach to bring near the food of his God. He may eat the food of his God, both of the most holy and of the holy, only he shall not go into the veil of a or approach the altar, because he has a defect, so that he will not profane my sanctuaries, for I am Yahweh who makes them holy. So Moses spoke to Aaron, and to his sons, and to all the sons of Israel. Leviticus 22, we're going to read through to verse 16. Then Yahweh spoke to Moses, saying, Tell Aaron and his sons to be careful with the holy gifts of the sons of Israel, which they set apart to me as holy, so as not to profane my holy name. I am Yahweh. Say to them, If any man among all your seed throughout your generations comes near to the holy gifts, which the sons of Israel set apart as holy to Yahweh, and he has an uncleanness, that person shall be cut off from before me. I am Yahweh. No man of the seed of Aaron, who is a leper or who has a discharge, may eat of the holy gifts until he is clean. And if one touches anything made unclean by a corpse... <sighs> Sorry. Sorry, it's getting late. Or if a man has a seminal emission 
or if a man touches any teeming things by which he is made unclean, or any man by whom he is made unclean, whatever his uncleanness, a person who touches any such thing shall be unclean until evening, and shall not eat of the holy gifts unless he has bathed his body in water. But the sun will set, and he will be clean, and afterwards he shall eat of the holy gifts, for it is his food. He shall not eat an animal which dies or is torn by beasts, becoming unclean by it. I am Yahweh. They shall, they shall therefore keep my charge, so that they will not bear sin because of it, and die thereby because they profane it. I am Yahweh who makes them holy. No layman, however, is to eat the holy gift. A foreign resident with the priest or a hired man shall not eat of the holy gift. But if a priest buys a person as his property with his money, that one may eat of it, and those who are born in his house may eat of his food. If a priest's daughter is married to a layman, she shall not eat of the contribution of the holy gifts. But if a priest's daughter becomes a widow or divorced, and has no seed, and returns to her father's house as in her youth, she shall eat of her father's food, but no layman shall eat of it. But if a man eats a holy gift unintentionally, then he shall add to it a fifth of it, and shall give the holy gift to the priest. They shall not profane the holy gifts of the sons of Israel, which they raise up to Yahweh and so cause them to bear punishment for guilt by eating their holy gifts, for I am Yahweh who makes them holy. All right, now Mark 9, verses 1 through 29. And Jesus was saying to them, Truly I say to you, there are some of those who are standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God having come in power. And six days later, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John and brought them up on a high mountain alone by themselves. And he was transfigured before them, and his garments were shining intensely white, as no launderer on earth can whiten them. And Elijah appeared to them along with Moses, and they were conversing with Jesus. And Peter answered and said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good for us to be here. Let us make three booths, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah. For he did not know what to answer, for they became terrified. Then a cloud formed, overshadowing them, and a voice came out of the cloud, This is my beloved son, listen to him. For all at once, when they looked around, they saw no one with them any more except Jesus alone. And as they were coming down from the mountain, he gave them orders not to recount to anyone what they had seen until the Son of Man rose from the dead. And they seized upon that statement, arguing with one another what rising from the dead meant. And they began asking him, saying, Why is it that the scribes say that Elijah must come first? And he said to them, Elijah does come, does first come and restore all things. And yet how is it written of the Son of Man that he will suffer many things and be treated with contempt? But I say to you that Elijah has indeed come, and they did to him whatever they wished, just as it is written of him. And when they came back to the disciples, they saw a large crowd around them, and scribes arguing with them. And immediately when the entire crowd saw him, they were amazed, and as they ran up, they were greeting him. And he asked them, What are you arguing with them? And one of the crowd answered him, Teacher, I brought you my son, possessed with the spirit which makes him mute. And whenever it seizes him, it slams him to the ground, and he foams at the mouth and grinds his teeth and becomes rigid. I told your disciples to cast it out, and they could not do it. And he answered them and said, O oh, unbelieving generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring him to me. And they brought the boy to him. When he saw him, immediately the spirit threw him into a convulsion, and falling to the ground, he began rolling around, foaming at the mouth. And he asked his father, How long has this been happening to him? 
and he said, from childhood, and it has often thrown him both into the fire and into the water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. And Jesus said to him, if you can, all things are possible to him who believes. Immediately the boy's father cried out and was saying, I do believe, help my unbelief. Now when Jesus saw that a crowd was rapidly gathering, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, You mute and deaf spirit, I command you, come out of him and do not enter him again. And after crying out and throwing him into terrible convulsions, it came out, and the boy became so much like a corpse that most of them said, He is dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and raised him, and he stood up. And when he came into the house, his disciples began questioning him privately. Why could we not cast it out? And he said to him, This kind cannot come out by anything but prayer. All right. Psalm 43. Give justice to me, O God, and plead my case against an unholy nation. O protect me from the deceitful and unrighteous man. For you are the God of my strength. Why have you rejected me? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? O send out your light and your truth. Let them lead me. Let them bring me to your holy mountain and to your dwelling places. Then I will go to the altar of God, to God my exceeding joy. And upon the lyre I shall praise you, O God, my God. Why are you in despair, O my soul? And why are you disturbed within me? Wait for God, for I shall still praise him, the salvation of my presence and my God. And finally, Proverbs ten eighteen, He who covers up hatred has lying lips. And he who spreads a bad report is a fool. All right. Well, that is our um, Bible reading for this morning. Um, thank you for spending this time with me. I hope this time with us sharing the Bible um, is beneficial for you, is edifying for you. I pray that it would be. Um, I definitely hope that you go out and have yourself a wonderful day, no matter what's going on. Um, I would continue to implore you to do all that you do as you go out into your day for the glory of God. Um, and God willing, I hope to see you for the evening segment. All right. Um, let's go ahead and close up in prayer. The prayer we're going to close up with from Valley of Vision is called the prayer of love. Let's pray. Gracious Lord, thy name is love. In love, receive my prayer. My sins are more than wide seas sand. But where sin abounds, there is grace more abundant. Look to the cross of thy beloved son and view the preciousness of his atoning blood. Listen to his never-failing intercession, and whisper to my heart, Thy sins are forgiven. Be of good cheer. Lie down in peace. Grace cataracts from heaven and flows forever, and mercy never wearies in bestowing benefits. Grant me more and more to prize the privilege of prayer, to come to thee as a sin-soiled sinner, to find pardon in thee, to converse with thee, to know thee in prayer as the path in which my feet tread, the latch upon the door of my lips, the light that shines through my eyes, the music of my ears, the marrow of my understanding, the strength of my will, the power of my affection, the sweetness of my memory. May the matter of my prayer be always wise, humble, submissive, obedient, scriptural, Christ-like. Give me unwavering faith that supplications are never in vain, that if I seem not to attain, obtain my petitions, I shall have larger riches, richer answers, surpassing all that I ask or think. Unsought thou hast given me the greatest gift, the person of thy Son, and in him thou wilt give me all I need.
Amen. All right, again, I hope you have a wonderful day. And like I said, God willing, I'll see you this evening. Have a great one. God bless. Welcome to the evening segment of the Faith Comes From Hearing podcast. Good evening and welcome to the evening segment of the Monday, February 27th episode of the Faith Comes From Hearing podcast. That's episode 180, 180. Um, this is, I am continuing to be Wayne Floyd, your host. Um, the Faith Comes From Hearing podcast is a humble member of the Christian Podcast Community. You can find us at christianpodcastcommunity.org. Um, definitely worth your while to go over there. Uh, believe me, going over there, finding stuff to listen to, you're going to... You're going to run out of time. You're going to find more to listen to than you have time to listen to it. It is definitely, definitely worth your while. Um, so I would definitely encourage you to go over there. All right. Well, this evening we're going to be continuing our reading in Thomas Watson's The Godly Man's Picture. And again, like I keep saying, just because it says a godly man's picture doesn't mean it's that it's not for both men and women. This is for men and women. It's the godly person's picture. But, you know, of course, Watson was addressing the man just because that's how they wrote. But this is the picture of what a godly person should look like. This is what we should look like if we are truly saved. So let's go ahead and open this evening section. And we'll open it with a prayer from Valley Vision. This one is called Desires. Let's pray. O thou that hearest prayer, teach me to pray. I confess that in religious exercises, the language of my lips and the feelings of my heart have not always agreed, that I have frequently taken carelessly upon my tongue a name never pronounced above without reverence and humility, that I have often desired things which would have injured me, that I have depreciated some of my chief mercies, that I have erred both on the side of my hopes and also of my fears, that I am unfit to choose for myself, for it is not in me to direct my steps. Let thy spirit help my infirmities. For I know not what to pray for, as I ought. Let him produce in me wise desires, by which I may ask right things. Then I shall know thou hearest me. May I never be importunate for temporal blessings, but always refer them to thy fatherly goodness. For thou knowest what I need before I ask. May I never think I prosper unless my soul prospers, or that I am rich unless rich toward thee, or that I am wise unless wise unto salvation. May I seek first thy kingdom and its righteousness. May I value things in relation to eternity. May my spiritual warfare be my chief solicitude. May I be poor, afflicted, despised, and have thy blessing, rather than be successful in enterprise, or have more than my heart can wish, or be admired by my fellow men. If thereby these things make me forget thee, may I regard the world as dreams, lies, vanities, vexation of spirit, and desire to depart from it. And may I seek my happiness in thy favor, image, presence, service. Amen. All right, now our evening devotion from Spurgeon's Morning and Evening for February 27th. Uh, the text for it is from Micah 5.2, whose goings forth have been from of old, from everlasting. The Lord Jesus had goings forth for his people as their representative before the throne, long before they appeared upon the stage of time. It was from everlasting that he signed the compact with his father, that he would pay blood for blood, suffering for suffering, 
agony for agony and death for death, in the behalf of his people. It was from everlasting that he gave himself up without a murmuring word, that from the crown of his head to the sole of his foot he might sweat great drops of blood, that he might be spit upon, pierced, mocked, rent asunder, and crushed beneath the pains of death. His goings forth as our surety were from everlasting. Pause, my soul, and wonder. Thou hast goings forth in the person of Jesus from everlasting. Not only when thou wast born and into the world did Christ love thee, but his delights were with the sons of men before there were any sons of men. Often did he think of them from everlasting to everlasting. He had set his affection upon them. What, my soul, has he been so long about thy salvation? and will not he accomplish it? Has he from everlasting been going forth to save me, and will he lose me now? What, has he carried me in his hand as his precious jewel, and will he now let me slip from between his fingers? Did he choose me before the mountains were brought forth, or the channels of the deep were digged, and will he reject me now? Impossible! I am sure he would not have loved me so long if he had not been a changeless lover, if he could grow weary of me, he would have been tired of me long before now. If he had not loved me with a love as deep as hell and as strong as death, he would have turned from me long ago. O oh, joy above all joys, to know that I am his everlasting and inalienable inheritance given to him by his Father, or ever the, or ever the earth was. Everlasting love shall be the pillow for my head this night. Wow. What a nice one from Spurgeon. All right. Well, like I said, we're going to be continuing in our reading of The Godly Man's Picture from Thomas Watson. Um, we are in big section four, which is the part about what the attributes are of the godly man. And we're in section 14. Um, so attribute 14. These are basically each, each, sec each subsection here is an attribute. So section 14... <clears throat> and this is a heavenly man. The godly man is a heavenly man. So here we go. A godly man is a heavenly man. Heaven is in him before he is in heaven. The Greek word for saint, hagios, signifies a man taken away from the earth. A person may live in one place, yet belong to another. He may live in Spain, yet be a free citizen of England. Pomp Pomponius dwelt at Athens yet was a citizen of Rome. So a godly man is a while in the world, but he belongs to the Jerusalem above. That is the place to which he aspires. Every day is ascension day with a believer. The saints are called stars for their sub sublimeness. They have gotten above, I'm sorry, they have gotten above into the upper region. The way of life is above to the wise, Proverbs 15:24. A godly man is heavenly in six ways. Number one, in his election. Number two, in his disposition. Number three, in his communication. Number four, in his operation. Number five, in his expectation. And number six, in his conversation. So number one, a godly man is heavenly in what he elects. He chooses heavenly objects. David chose to be a resident in God's house, Psalm 84.10. A godly person chooses Christ and grace before the most illustrious things under the sun. What a man is, his choice is. The choosing of God is best seen in a critical hour, when Christ and the world come into competition, 
and we part with the world to keep Christ and a good conscience. It is a sign we have chosen the better part. Luke 10.42 Moses chose to be mistreated along with the people of God, rather to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a short time. Hebrews 11.52 Number 2. A godly man is heavenly in his disposition. He sets his affections on things above. Colossians 3.2 He sends his heart to heaven before he gets there. He looks at the world as but a beautiful prison, and he cannot be much in love with his fetters, even if they were made of gold. A holy person contemplates glory and eternity. His desires have gotten wings and fled to heaven. Grace is in the heart like fire, which makes it spark spark upward in divine breathings and exclamations. A godly man is heavenly in his communication. His words are sprinkled with salt to season others. Colossians 4, 6. As soon as Christ had risen from the grave, he was speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. Acts 1, 3. No sooner has a man risen from the grave of unregeneracy than he is speaking of heaven. The words of a wise man's mouth are gracious. Ecclesiastes 4, 12. He speaks so heavenly as if he had already been in heaven. The love he bears to God will not allow him to be silent. The spouse being sick with love, her tongue was like the pen of a ready writer. My beloved is white and ruddy. His head is as the fine gold. Song of Songs 5, 10, and 11. If wine is in the house, the bush will be hung out. Where there is a principle of godliness in the heart, it vents itself at the lips. How can those be termed godly? 1. Who are possessed with a, spe- with a speechless devil? They never, ha- they never have any good discussions. They are fluent and prattle enough in secular things. They can speak about their wares and drugs. They can tell you what a good crop they had. But in matters of religion, it is as if their tongue clung to the roof of their mouth. There are many people, if you come into their company, you cannot tell what to make of them. If they are Turks or atheists, for they never speak a word of Christ. 2. Whose tongues are set on fire by hell? Their lips do not drip honey, but poison to the defiling of others. Plutarch says that speech ought to be like gold, which is of much va- most value when it has the least dross in it. Oh, the unclean malicious words that some people utter! What an unsavory stench comes from those d- these dunghills! Those lips that gallop so fast in sin needs Dav- need David's muzzle. Psalm 39.1 Can the body be healthy when the tongue is black? Can the heart be holy when the devil is in the lips? A godly man speaks the language of Canaan. Isaiah 19.18 those who feared the Lord spoke often one to another. Malachi 3.16 Number 4. A godly man is heavenly in his operation. The motions of the planets are celestial. A godly man is sublime and sacred in his motions. He works out his salvation. Philippians 2.12 He puts forth all his strength, as they did in the Greek Olympics, so that he may obtain the garland made of the flowers of paradise. He prays fast. He prays fasts, watches, and takes heaven by storm. Matthew eleven twelve. He is divinely actuated. He carries on God's interest in the world. He does angels' work. He is seraphic in his operations. Number five. A godly man is heavenly in his expectation. His hopes are above the world, and in hope of eternal life, a godly man, Titus 1, 2. A godly man casts anchor within the veil. Hebrews six nineteen. He hopes to have his fetters of sin filed off. He hopes for such things as no eye has seen. 1 Corinthians 2.9 He hopes for a kingdom when he dies. A kingdom promised by the Father, purchased by the Son, assured by the Holy Spirit. 
as an heir lives in hope of the time when such a great estate shall fall to him, so a child of God who is a co-heir with Christ, Romans 8.17, hopes for glory. This hope comforts him in all varieties of condition. We rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Romans 5.2 This hope comforts a godly man in affliction. Hope lightens and sweetens the most severe dispensations. A child of God can laugh with tears in his eyes. The time is shortly coming when the cross shall be taken off his shoulder and a crown sat upon his head. A saint, at present miserable with a thousand troubles, will in an instant be clothed with robes of immortality and advanced above the seraphim. This hope comforts a godly man in death. The righteous has hope in his death. Proverbs 14.32 If one were to ask a dying saint what he would have left when all his earthly comforts had gone, he would say, The helmet of hope. I have read of a woman martyr who, when the persecutors commanded that her breast be cut off, said, Tyrant, do your worst. I have two breasts which you cannot touch, the one of faith and the other of hope. A soul that has this blessed hope is above the desire of life or the fear of death. Would anyone be troubled at exchanging a pitiful lease for an inheritance that will be for him and his heirs? Who would care to part with life, which is a lease that will soon run out, to be possessed of a glorious inheritance and light? Colossians 1-2 Number 6. A godly man is heavenly in his conversation. He casts such a luster of holiness that it adorns his profession. He lives as if he had seen the Lord with bodily eyes. What zeal, sanctity, humility shine forth in his life. A godly person emulates not only the angels, but imitates Christ himself. 1 John 2.6 The Macedonians celebrate the birthday of Alexander, on which day they wear his picture around their neck, set with pearl and rich jewels. So a godly man carries the lively picture of Christ around him and the heavenliness of his deportment. Our conversation is in heaven, Philippians 3.20. Use 1. They must be disbarred as ungodly, 1 Corinthians 9.27, who are eaten up with the world. Godly and earthly is a contradiction. For many walk, of whom I now tell you, even weeping as enemies of the cross of Christ, whose, good, whose God is their belly, who mind earthly things. Philippians 3:18 and 19. We read that the earth swallowed up coral alive. Number 16:32. This judgment is on many. The earth swallows up their time, thoughts, and discourse. They are buried twice. Their hearts are buried in the earth before their bodies. How sad it is that the soul that princely thing which is made for communion with God and angels should be put to the mill to grind, and made a slave to the earth. How the soul has become like the prodigal, choosing to converse with swine and feed on husks, rather than aspire after communion with the blessed deity. Thus Satan fools men, and keeps them from heaven, by making them seek a heavenly here. A heaven here, sorry. Use two, because we would prove that we are born of God, let us be of a sublime heavenly temper. We will never go to heaven when we die, unless we are in heaven while we live. So that we may be nobler and raised in our affections, let us seriously weigh these four considerations. Number one, God himself sounds a retreat to call us off from the world. Do not love the world, 1 John 2.15. Do not hunt after its honors and profits. As are God's precepts, so are his providences. They are to beat us off the world. Why does he send war and pestilence? What does the heat of, the, of this ang great anger mean? Surely dying times are to make men die to the world. 2. Consider how much below a Christian it is to be earthly minded. 
We sometimes laugh at children. It is to be earthly minded. I'm sorry. We sometimes laugh at children when we see them busying themselves with toys, blowing bubbles in the air out of a shell, kissing their ba- their babies, etc. When in the meantime we do the same. At death, what will all the world be, which we hug and kiss, but like a rag doll? It will yield us no more comfort then. How far it is below a heaven-born soul to be taken up with these things. Indeed, for those who profess to be ennobled with a principle of piety, and to have their hopes above, for them to have their hearts below, how they disparage their heavenly calling, and spot their silver wings of grace, by smearing them with earth. Number three, consider what a poor, contemptible thing the world it the world is. It is not worth setting setting the affections on. It cannot fill the heart. If Satan were to take a Christian up to the Mount of Temptation and show him all the kingdom and glory of the world. Matthew 4, 8. What could he show him but a deceitful dream? Nothing here can be proportionate to the immense soul of man. In the fullness of his sufficiency, he shall be in straits. Job twenty twenty two. Here is lack in plenty. The creature will no more fill the soul than a drop will fill the bucket. And that little sweet we suck from the creature is intermixed with bitterness. Like that cup which the Jews gave Christ, they gave him to drink wine mingled with myrrh. Mark fifteen twenty three. And this imperfect sweet will not last long. The world passes away. 1 John 2.17 The creature barely gre- greets us and is quickly on the wing. The world rings, rings changes. It is never constant except in its disappointments. How quickly we may remove our lodgings and make our pillow in the dust. The world is but a great inn where we are to stay a night or two and be gone. What madness it is to so set our heart upon our inn as to forget our eternal home. Number four, consider what a glorious place heaven is. We read of an angel coming down from heaven who set his right foot on the sea and his left foot on the earth. Revelations 10.2 If we had but, but once been in heaven and viewed its superlative glory, how we might in holy scorn trample with one foot on the earth and with the other foot on the sea. Heaven is called a better country, but now they desire a better country that is a heavenly one. Hebrews 11.16 Heaven is said to be a better country in opposition to the country where we now sojourn. What should we seek if not that better country? Question. In what sense is heaven a better country? Answer 1. In that country above there are better delights. There is the tree of life, the rivers of pleasure. There is amazing beauty, unsearchable riches. There are the delights of angels. There is the flower of joy full-blown. There is more than we can ask or think. Ephesians 3.20 There is glory in its full dimensions, and beyond all hyperbole. Answer 2. In that country there is a better dwelling house. It is, number 1, it is a house not made with hands, 2 Corinthians 5.1. To denote its excellence, there was never any house that was not made with hands, but the house house above surpasses the art of man or angel. None besides God could lay a stone in that building. Number 2. It is eternal in the heavens. It is not a guest house. But a mansion house, it is a house that will never be out of repair. Wisdom has built this house and hewn out her seven pillars, Proverbs 9.1, which can never rot. Answer 3. In that country there are better provisions. In our Father's house there is, a bread, there is bread enough. Heaven was typified by Canaan, which flowed with milk and honey. There is the royal feast, the spiced wine. There is angel's food. 
There are those rare foods and delicacies served which exceed not only our expressions, but our belief. Answer 4. In that country there is better society. There God is blessed forever. How infinitely sweet and ravishing a smile from his face will be. The king's presence makes the court. There are the glorious cherubim in this terrestrial country where we now live. We are among wolves and serpents. In that country above we shall be among angels. There the spirit of just men are made perfect. Hebrews 12.23 Here on earth the people of God are clouded with infirmities. We see them with spots on their faces. They are full of pride, passion, criticism. In that Jerusalem above we shall see them in their royal attire, decked with unparalleled beauty, beauty, not having the least tincture or shadow of sin upon them. Answer 5. In that country, in that country, sorry, there is a better air to breathe. We go into the country for air. The best air is only to be had in that better country. Number 1. It is a more temperate air. The climate is calm and moderate. We will neither freeze with the cold nor faint with the heat. Number 2. It is a brighter air. There is a better light that shines there. The sun of righteousness enlightens that horizon with his glorious beams. The Lamb is the light thereof. Revelations 21-23. Number 3. It is a purer air. The marshes, marshes which are full of foul vapors we consider bad air and unwholesome to live in. This world is a place of bogs and marshes where the noxious vapors of sin arise which make it diseased and unwholesome to live in. But in that country above there are none of these vapors, but a sweet perfume of holiness. There is the smell of the orange tree and the pomegranate. There is the myrrh and cassia coming from Christ, which send forth a most fragrant scent. Answer 6. In that country there is a better soil. The land or soil is better, one for its altitude. The earth lying low is of a baser pedigree. The element which is nearer heaven is purer and more excellent as the fire. That country above is the high country. It is seated far above all the visible orbs. Psalm 24.32, or Psalm 24.3. Number two, for its fertility, it bears a richer crop. The richest harvest on earth is the golden harvest, but the country above yields nobler commodities. There are celestial pearls. There is the spiritual vine. There is the honeycomb of God's love dripping. There is the water of life, the hidden manna. There is that which does not rot flowers that never fade. There is a crop which cannot be fully reaped. It will always be reaping time in heaven. And the land yields all this without the labor of plowing or sowing. Number three, for its inoffensiveness. There are no briars there. The world is a wilderness where there are wicked men and the best of them is a briar. Micah 7, 4. They fear the people of God and their spiritual liberties. But in the country above, there is not one briar to be seen. All the briars are burned. Number four, for the rareness of the prospect, all that a man sees there is his own. I account that the best prospect is where a man can see the furthest on his own ground. Answer seven, in that country there is better union. All the inhabitants are knit together in love. The poisonous weed of malice does not grow there. There is harmony without division and charity without envy. In that country above, as in Solomon's temple, knowing no noise of a hammer is to be heard. Answer 8. In that country there is better employment. While we are here, we are complaining about our needs, weeping over our sins. But there we shall be praising God. 
how the birds of paradise will chirp when they are in their in that celestial country. There the morning stars will sing together, and all the saints of God will shout for joy. Oh, what should we aspire after if not this country above? Those who have, sorry, those who have their eyes opened will see that it infinitely excels. An ignorant man looks at a star, and it appears to him like a little silver spot. But the astronomer who has his instrument to judge the dimensions of a star knows it to be many degrees larger than the earth. So when natural man hears of the heavenly country, that it is very glorious, but it is at a great distance, and because he does not have a spirit of a discerning, the world looks bigger in his eyes. But those who are spiritual artists, who have the instrument of faith to judge of heaven, will say it is by far the better country, and they will hasten there with the sails of desire. All right, that was our reading for for this evening. The godly man is a heavenly man. So tomorrow evening, God willing, we'll go into attribute number 15, section 15. A godly man is a zealous man. All right, let me bookmark this real quick. All right. Well, again, thank you for spending this time with me. I hope this time reading Thomas Watson's The Godly Man's Picture is beneficial to you. Um, It definitely has been for me. Um, It's been a great boon for me. One, it's given me time to do other study. Um, But two, it's just been so wonderful to take in this book, at least for me. And again, I pray that it is for you. All right. Well, I hope you go on to have a wonderful night and God willing, I hope to see you in the morning. Let's go ahead and close out with prayer. We're going to close out with the second day evening prayer. It's called bounty. Let's pray. Thou great and only potentate, thou hast made summer and winter, day and night. Each of these revolutions serves our welfare and is full of thy care and kindness. Thy bounty is seen in the relations that train us, the laws that defend us, the homes that shelter us, the food that builds us, the raiment that comforts us, the continuance of our health, members, senses, understanding, memory, affection, will. But as stars fade before the rising sun, thou hast eclipsed all these benefits in the wisdom and grace that proposed redemption by Jesus thy Son. Blessed be thy mercy that laid help on one that is mighty and willing one that is able to save to the uttermost. Make us deeply sensible of our need of his saving grace, of the blood that cleanses, of the rest he has promised, and impute to us that righteousness which justifies the guilty. Give them a title to eternal life and possession of the Spirit. May we love the freeness of salvation and joy in its holiness. Give us faith to grasp thy promises that are our hope. Provide for every exigency and prevent every evil. Keep our hearts from straying after forbidden pleasures. May thy will bind all our wishes. Let us live out of the world as to its spirit, maxim, manners, but live in it as the sphere of our action and usefulness. May we be alive to every call of duty, accepting without question the determination of our circumstances and our service. Amen. All right, again, thank you for spending this time with me. I hope you have a wonderful evening, and like I said, God willing, I will see you in the morning. Have a great night. God bless.